we found that about 60% of Americans fantasize at least sometimes about sex with multiple people in some way, shape, or form. So whether that was some specific non-monogamy fantasies like having an open relationship or including or threesomes or group play or they just wanted multiple partners and 60%. It's not an uncommon, yeah. weird, it's not a fringe desire. Hmm. It may still be right. an uncommon practice for a lot of people, especially doing it in the you know negotiated way. But as a desire, as a fantasy, it's pretty present. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are back to answer questions from some of our listeners, and we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Jana Vrongalova. She is a relationship scientist, consultant, and NYU adjunct professor of human sexuality. She's a world-renowned expert in non-monogamy and creator of Open Smarter, an online course that guides couples and individuals to identify and navigate the relationship type best suited for their unique personality and life circumstances. So together, we're going to be talking a little bit about some research that Dr. Jana has done, as well as answering some listener questions. As always, when we're talking about listener questions, we need to give the caveat that we only get a little snippet of this, so we will do our best to answer the question in a way that's helpful, not only for the question asker, but for other people who might be in a similar situation. But of course, we are not directly your therapist. And of course, you have to make the choices that are right for your life and your circumstances, because ultimately, you are the one who knows your life better than anybody else. So I want to go back to the beginning. I always love asking people how you got into this work and into this particular niche, looking at non-monogamy and non-traditional relationships. What was the journey for you? The journey was a very personal one. I was a very sexual kid for as long as I can remember, growing up in a fairly conservative kind of traditional culture in Macedonia, a small country in Southeast Europe. And I was not supposed to want any of the things that I wanted, that I was curious about, from casual sex to non-monogamy to kinky sex to non-heterosexual attractions and sex. And so all of these things existed as curiosities in me, and I was a wild child, so I acted (laughs) on all of them (laughs) as much as I could, as well as I could do that in the environment of shame and stigma and judgment and lack of role models and lack of information and lack of respect for anything from consent to sexual health to all of the things that you might want to pay attention to when you are <clears throat> when you're trying to navigate these kind of higher risk behaviors or higher novelty types of experiences and since that had been such a big part of my teenage years growing up uh, I did my BA in psychology and I had done some research undergraduate research on the sex on sex related topics and when time came to pick a phd topic and i knew i was going to do a phd i always was very curious about science and knowledge and i wanted to create more knowledge and <clears throat> that was kind of a dream that i was going to live in new york and i was <laughs> going to have a phd and <laughs> and check yeah. and check, check. check. Yep. <laughs> yeah so when time came to decide okay what am i going to focus on within the psychology realm Can I ask myself this one question of what's the one thing that is going to keep your interest for the rest of your life? Because once you do a PhD, you're going to get stuck with that topic. You're going to study that for at least five years, probably more like seven years. And you don't want that to go to waste to then go do something completely different. So it was almost a no brainer. Of course, it was going to be sexuality. It's the most fascinating topic that I can think of when it comes to humans especially because we have such an ambivalent relationship with it, right? Most of us 
have a need for it in one way, shape, or form for sex, love, and relationships. And yet we create so many obstacles to people being able to live their true, fulfilled, authentic sex and love lives. And especially in a way that's healthy for themselves and for the people that they engage in, especially if they, you know, color outside the lines that society gives us, which tends to be a pretty narrow, narrow um, spectrum of things that we can have. So given my history and this interest and how can we do this well, I knew I wanted to study these non-traditional sex and relationship lifestyles and how do the people who have those desires, how do we navigate those relationships in a way that is healthy for ourselves and for other people and maintain physical, mental, emotional, and and social health and connectedness. So that's what guided me to Cornell and studying casual sex, non-monogamy, sexual orientation, and um, yeah, I've stayed with that topic ever since. So to rewind a bit, and again, thinking about your personal history, so so you grew up in this much more conservative culture, and then you moved to the U.S. and found that we're just like so sex positive and just so (laughs) great and like communicative and knowledgeable and embrace our sexuality. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I experienced. I mean, luckily in New York, that is somewhat true. Or it's certainly more true of New York. Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, than in many other parts of the U.S. Luckily, I had spent a summer in Tampa, Florida when I was 14. And so I I realized that everywhere else in America is not New York. New York is special and different. Mm. (laughs) So Mm. that was not a shock. The 14-year-old Jana was very shocked when she realized that Tampa was not New York. (laughs) Well, we all have to learn. Yeah, yep. <laughs> the secret has to come out at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a, to some extent a culture shock or no, getting to know a different culture that had different norms and rules around sexuality that in many ways were similar. A lot of the shame and the stigma that I was seeing and experiencing in Macedonia were certainly present at Cornell and amongst the undergrad and grad students. And yet other things were different. There was so much more binge drinking, for example, in mm. the U.S. that I'd never really experienced in Macedonia. And that, especially when you talk about casual sex, that adds a whole another layer mm. of risk and complexity. And why are we doing this? What is this doing to the healthy and ethical way of actually engaging in this practice? And so, yeah, it's been fascinating you know, learning how this is playing out in this country. Yeah, I guess that makes sense that I do think, I mean, not that that's, this is unique to the States, but yeah, I do think it's like casual sex and like hookup culture to a certain extent goes hand in hand with the drinking culture as well, which makes it complicated. Can you talk to us also about your course, Open Smarter, and sort of how you created that, what went into that, uh, and a little bit about the course itself as well? Sure. So I have this online course that people can take on their own time called Open Smarter that helps people figure out what kind of relationship type they want to be in, right? Of all of the different options that we now have, finally, we have options more than just monogamy or, I don't know, celibacy or or you have to stay single for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Now we have options. Those are some of the options, but there are more. And and yet these days there's a lot of confusion, I feel like. There are a lot of different terms being thrown around of the different types of relationships that you can have. Uh, a lot a lot of these options are not necessarily clear as to what it is and what would be the right one for me. And so I wanted to use, especially not in any systematic way. So I, I see a lot of people in my in my audience, in my with my clients, with my consulting clients, I see a lot of people kind of shooting in the dark, going blind through all of the different options without really thinking it through and re- without really using any kind of compass to help them orient themselves on this map, which is already very complicated. And so the idea behind the Open Smarter course was to, to some extent, simplify and condense the the map into a somewhat more manageable a landscape and map and then provide compass for people to figure out what is more likely to lead to a successful and fulfilling relationship for them. And then 
how to actually do it well once they are in whatever relationship uh, they're in. So yeah, after doing a lot of research on on the different relationship types and non-monogamy, a lot of consulting, a lot of speaking and writing, that was uh, an obvious next step to give people this kind of more practical applied tool for him. Yeah, because you mentioned clients, and, and this is a trend that I've seen with my own clients, and I'm wondering if you've seen the same, that... And again, this is all anecdotal. I haven't done any of my own empirical research on this. It's purely from my own sample set of my own client base. But where it feels like people who are already partnered and exploring different types of relationships, while that in itself presents its own challenges, I feel like there's a certain amount where it's easier, where you have this other person to kind of bounce ideas off of and to like, let's experiment with let's try swinging or let's try these different versions of like group sex or let's try dating separately or whatever. And then when I work with people who are quote unquote single, like let's say unpartnered, I feel like those are the people that sometimes feel the most adrift at sea. At least that's the way people have described it. Of I know that I don't want to go down the traditional track of monogamy, but but I'm just in this sea of like trying to find partnership and I know it's not going to be monogamy, but like, how do I then tailor what I want? How do I communicate to people? Mm-hmm. If I'm wishy-washy, how do I find the right person? You know, I'm, I'm assuming that's something you've also run up against right. with working yeah, with people. Yeah, absolutely. And when do you have these conversations? Am I going to scare away people too soon before we've had a chance to connect? Yes. And when do you start? If we're going to have some sort of an open arrangement, when does that start? Does it start right away? So... There are a lot of, yeah, those questions. And yeah, I think a lot of the single folks struggle with figuring out what is possible given what their dating pool and options are and, and then how to navigate that. But even with couple, there are different ways that you can go through this set of experiences, these different types. A polyamorous relationship is very different from something like swinging, right? Or, mm. or playing separately where there are no feelings involved or where we're trying actively to prevent feelings from happening. And that changes the nature of the relationship and the dynamic quite a bit. And the kind of work that needs to go into it changes it quite a bit, but people don't know that. And they often just kind of blindly go into it. Uh, I don't know. We're doing poly or we're doing this, whatever, without really thinking through. Does that make sense? Is that what we want to be doing? What does that mean long term? Okay, if we do catch feelings with this person and that, be like, how is that going to happen? Person. So there's just so many things that yeah, people have to at least be aware that they're going to potentially have to deal with an answer down the line if they go down a particular track. Yeah. And something else I wanted to talk about briefly before we go on to answering listener questions is... The fact that so many more people now seem to be expressing an interest in some kind of non-monogamy, whether they're already partnered or not. And so you recently were involved in a, um, a nationally representative survey uh, called Unbound Love. It was about sexual desires and fantasies and things like that. Do you tell us a little bit about that and maybe a few of the interesting findings? Sure. <clears throat> I partnered... Uh, recently with Ashley Madison, the largest married dating site uh, in the world, to create a survey, a set of questions that we can ask of their Ashley Madison members, as well as through partnership with YouGov, which is an independent representative, which is an independent surveying uh, company that uh, surveys nationally representative samples to ask people about their sexual fantasies, about the quality of their sex life and also their interest in non-monogamy. And this was all amongst partnered participants, so people who are currently in at least one relationship. And we found some really sad and alarming numbers Mm. on one hand, like that almost 45% of Americans and 65% of Ashley Madison users, but almost 45% of Americans of those Americans in long-term partnerships were not very satisfied with the sexual aspect of their relationship. The mm. sex was not That's great. That's a huge chunk. Yeah. Wow. That's a, it's almost half mm-hmm. of the people who are currently in a relationship are not having great sex. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily miserable with the sexual aspect, 
but yeah, there's there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and a, a lot of that was due to lack of communication. Almost the exact same percentage, forty five percent, were saying that they didn't really feel very comfortable sharing their sexual fantasies with their primary partner. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. that that level of shame and kind of fear that comes up with wanting to honestly express what you want. I mean, yeah, we talk about that anecdotally on the show and that yeah. is validating and also depressing to hear that, you know, confirmed by by the results from this study. Yeah, yeah. it's really sad. And of course, it's not surprising when you look at those who are communicating or who feel comfortable sharing fantasies versus those who don't. Those who feel comfortable sharing have are much more likely to be satisfied with the sexual aspects of their relationships. Go figure. And the people who are satisfied with the sex in their relationships are much more likely to be satisfied with their relationships overall, which increases relationship longevity and decreases right risk of conflict and and breakup. And that's generally a good thing if it's a good relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And some of the fantasies that people are having, people are having a lot of fantasies. uh, And we found that about 60% of Americans fantasize at least sometimes about sex with multiple people in some way, shape, or form. So whether that was some specific non-monogamy fantasies like having an open relationship or including or threesomes or group play or they just wanted multiple partners and uh, that kind of uh, type of multiple partner interest. So 60%. It's not an uncommon Yeah, yeah that's huge. Thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weird. It's not a fringe desire. Hmm. It may still be right. an uncommon practice for a lot of people, especially doing it in the you know negotiated way. But as a desire, as a fantasy, it's pretty present. Yeah, absolutely. There was a study just in the last couple of years by the Kinsey Institute also validating that more and more people are interested in polyamory specifically mm. as well compared to what a lot of people would have estimated before. So before we started recording today, mm-hmm. you also mentioned some some statistics about kind of what types of, you know, non-monogamous sexual fantasies people had that this study looked at. Do, do I have that right? <laughs> we uh, actually asked <clears throat> specifically if you can be assured that having sex with people outside of your primary relationship wouldn't harm your relationship. What would be your ideal scenario? Hmm. And... uh which is now pretty consistent across a number of different YouGov surveys that have been asked in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. But again, we found that 30% said that they would want, their ideal scenario would be some form of uh, non-monogamy. So 64% were, uh, 64 and 6% said prefer not to say 64 would not want to have sex with anyone else and they wouldn't want their partner to have have sex with anyone else. What, um, of course, there is a gender difference with men being more likely to say that they would, uh, want to have sex with someone else and they would be fine with their partner occasionally having sex with, um, someone else. What I found really interesting was that one gender stereotype that I hear a lot from my audience about this, this, there's a belief, I think, that um, men are more hypocritical in this regard than women are. That if you give them the option that only they would get to have sex with that, with someone else, but they wouldn't want their partners to do it, mm-hmm. but there would be many more men saying that that's their uh, preferred option than there are women. And we did not actually find that. It was very no. similar, 11% and 8% of the population said, I want to have sex with others myself, but I don't want my partner doing it. And about 4% of, 4% of both genders said the opposite, that uh, I don't want to have sex with anyone else, but I'd be okay if my partner did That's it. Fascinating. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. So it was about the same along... along... Huh. The only wow. gender difference was in the both. Right. Mm. So 23% of men and 8% of women. That was a significant, That's a significant gender difference. difference. Yeah, that is. Wow. wow. Would be yeah. okay and with having sex with other people and also their partner having sex with other people. Exactly. Yeah. And this yeah. is, as I said, fairly consistent, both in terms of the general percentage that are curious or interested in 
or would be open to some form of non-monogamy. And it's consistent in the gender differences, especially among heterosexual folks. We see a pretty significant gender difference with men always being more interested than women. And we can discuss why and how that, where that comes from, the biology and the socialization that go with it. But I'm curious to see if that gap keeps closing over time. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it will, because I do feel like I've seen some other studies where the results have been a little bit flipped, Mm. right? And of course, like none of this means that it's like set in stone or it's the final final word on things. But I do think that there's more and more evidence to suggest, uh, you know, I guess kind of the opposite of I think what often our assumptions of women are, right? Is that women uh, women are the ones who want monogamy and men are the ones who want to play around, right? And I do think that we're seeing that start to change. And and I am willing to bet that probably things like social stigma and socialization probably get in the way of that as well. And so as that continues to change, yeah, I'm sure that gap is going to continue to close. Yeah. I've never seen flipped results. In no study has there mm-hmm. been more interest shown by women compared to men in either non-monogamy or casual sex. or it, These are actually one of the largest gender differences that exist in human sexuality, mm. which is why many, myself included, believe that the stigma and the differential treatment of men and women who are highly sexual plays a huge role. But that's not the only reason that there are possibly some biological differences there as well or factors. But um, it's impossible to know how much of each because we don't have an equal society anywhere to see Mm -hmm. whether that gender difference would completely disappear if we treated men, women uh, the same. Well, we also have definitely seen men who might say or believe initially, oh, yeah, I'm going to be totally fine with this. But then when a woman starts having sex with someone else, then they get really, uh, I guess, defensive and want their partner to only have sex with them again. Whereas sometimes when it actually happens, the woman flips and decides, hey, actually, this is great. I really am enjoying this. I am curious also with all of the stuff that you talked about, those numbers all seem very high. And I do wonder if the prevalence of non-monogamy just being in media and so many people out there talking about it now, having podcasts on it now, when we started this podcast, it was like us and one other person who even was speaking about non-monogamy in this way. And I do wonder if those numbers will just continue to grow simply because of the prevalence and people are more interested in it. It's more in our lives now and it's okay. Or it feels more like, hey, this isn't such a fringe idea to be non-monogamous. I don't know what all, well, all three of you think. Yeah, clearly there it is. This is more in the media and mm-hmm. it's no longer a fringe option at least as a possibility in people's mind. Because if you have 30% of the population saying, at least I'm curious or interested in yeah, this, that's, that's not fringe. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, that's a great point. Like, are all of these people actually, would they actually engage in non-monogamy if given the opportunity? We don't know. There's mm. a difference between interest and actual behavior. How many of them yeah. will try, but then realize, oh, this is not for me. This is way too hard or whatever. Um, yeah, that's that's another question. And I'm actually curious, specifically this gender difference that I mentioned, um, or lack of gender difference. I wonder how many of those men who said, I want to have sex with other people, but I don't want, or I want, am I, uh, and I'm okay with my partner doing it as well. How many of them are thinking if it was other women, but yeah. not other men? hundred percent. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a common, that's yeah. a common one. It's a real common one. Yeah. yeah. Just throw it out there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah. get into some listener questions, yeah. shall we? Yeah. Yes, let's do it. All right. All right. The first one is, how do you navigate exploring a poly relationship with two people who are open, quote unquote, open to the idea of poly, but are uncomfortable with or don't want to have any of the conversations around needs slash wants slash boundaries that seem so important to building healthy poly relationships? I feel like this literally ties to what you mentioned earlier, Dr. Jana, about like the single being like, when do I have this conversation? Uh-huh. Yeah. How do I scare them? Is it going to scare them off? You know, yeah. What, what are your thoughts? You can't have a poly relationship without discussing mm-hmm. wants and boundaries. <laughs> unless you want a disaster. I mean, that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Either if you're curious and open about it, okay, then 
whenever you're ready, let's talk about it and then create whatever it is that we want to. I don't know how you create a poly relationship without discussing and and that being a huge risk for a lot of stuff going wrong. Yeah. I, for me, it makes me want to ask the question of when you say they're uncomfortable with or don't want to have any of the conversations around that, I would want to ask some more specifics there of what what is it that they're uncomfortable with? Is it that they don't want to just talk for like a year before doing it? In which case I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Some people think you have to do that and you don't. <laughs> Fair. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> I need to experience it a little to even know what I care about and what matters to me. But if it's this like, I can't even get myself to talk about my concerns or my feelings about this at all. That to me is a sign of some bigger problems. Uh, problems is maybe harsh to say, but some bigger uh, things Issues. that they would need to get past and kind of work on first before they could even hope to have healthy conversations and healthy polyamorous relationships or honestly monogamous relationships for that matter. Yeah, the sort of red flag per se, the kind of that that I saw initially with this is the way in which it was talked about like two people being open to polyamorous relationships. To me, that almost sounds as though they'd be curious about it or they maybe could try it for a little bit or or go along with it, but not necessarily want to do the internal work involved. And the kind of restructuring of what relationships are and can be all of that it, that goes into having a non-monogamous relationship. I don't know. I, I would, I would really want to have a longer conversation with these people about it because at this point it seems like it's a little wishy-washy. And especially if somebody isn't interested in doing kind of the work on needs and boundaries and wants and why would you even want to get into a polyamorous relationship? Is it just simply because you want to stay in some sort of relationship with this person and that's the only way in which to do it? I think it, there has to be more of an anchor, as Lola Phoenix put it on one of our previous episodes, an anchor for why you want to be non-monogamous in the first place. And it can't be, oh... I just want to do it because I want to stay in a relationship with this other person. Is the flavor that I want to rope in is I, I want to think about and talk about what makes people uncomfortable talking about mm. these things, because I don't think it's purely just pointing the finger of, oh, this person is lazy mm. or, oh, this person is emotionally stunted or or not evolved enough or anything like that. Like I think about there's a lot of cultural forces, I think, that in, that discourage feeling comfortable with talking about these things. And it reminds me of a story of a friend of mine recently who kind of struck up a flirtation with somebody new. And this friend is happens to be non-monogamous, struck up a flirtation with somebody new that he just met. Um, it was kind of heading, you know, this was an extended flirtation. It was starting to head towards sex or a hookup or whatever. And that he had a talk with her about like, hey, just so you know you know, I'm not interested in monogamy. You know, these are my relationship preferences. This is how I go about my life. Um, but if you're cool with that, like, great, let's move forward. Um, and that the conversation was upsetting for this other person. And and it turned into like a little bit of a falling out. And he shared with me that like all of his non-monogamous friends were like, yeah, you did the right thing. You expressed ahead of time and tried to set some expectations and some boundaries. And to be clear... And that all of his traditional monogamous friends were like, why would you bring up that conversation <laughs> right then? Like, why? Like, that's way too soon. Like, why do you need to talk about these things? And so I do think that that's a piece here, right? Even with people who maybe say, oh, yeah, I'm open to exploring polyamory. I think there is still a lot that's of a social really conditioning point. around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're talking about that kind of stuff, that's like saying right out the gate, I want to marry you and have your babies. And that's just, that is going to scare people away. So I guess I'm kind of wondering when we think about the cultural level of this, mm. like, how, how do you swim in those waters? And I don't know that there is one way, right, to do that, one right way to do that. Like, when do you say, when is the right time if half the people think, or, you know, some people think, well, you, said something too soon and other people think, yeah, no, you did the right thing. Hmm. So people are often in the beginning not ready to talk 
about this or the way they're going to receive it at the beginning of a potential relationship is different than after a little bit. And I think often people, when the non-monogamy topic is brought up early on, they immediately think, well, that means you don't want to commit, right? If you come from the monogamous world, someone telling you, I want an open relationship or I want a poly relationship, if we're going to have a relationship, says, oh, so you're just you standing around. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't potentially want that. So we're not even going to go there. But if it's they had a chance to meet this person a little bit, right? If they had a chance to have a couple of dates, have a couple of sex sessions and the sex was really good and the connection and intimacy were really good those first couple of times. And then you bring up the topic of like, okay, if we were going to have a relationship, what type of relationship would you be up for? That might be different. It's, it's interesting because I, I feel like I also want to bring up something I've experienced myself and I've also seen with other people, which is sometimes in having that conversation about non-monogamy, if you're more of a polyamorous type person where it's like, oh, I've got multiple romantic relationships, that sometimes it, it can actually end up in this thing of, I want to explain to you what this is and this is what I do and kind of sets up an expectation that I want to have this very serious emotional relationship with you when maybe that's not even what they wanted. Maybe they were, they did want something a little more casual and maybe you would have liked that too, but it's like in trying to not be like, Oh, but it, but it's not that sometimes you can then overcommit into implying it's going to be something that neither of you necessarily knows what it's going to be. And that's the, kind of a catch-22 there, right? On the one hand... Jumping the shark. Right. Like, to not bring it up is shitty because they would, understandably, have an expectation that, oh, we're flirting, we're starting to date, that's leading toward monogamy because that's just culturally what the narrative is. But on the other hand, by bringing this up, maybe they were actually cool with something more casual and you've now made it more serious than it needed to be and screwed it up. I've done that many times, so that's why I bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) It's complicated. This next question actually has some elements that feel a little similar to the previous Mm -hmm. one. So I'll just say what it is. Let's see. How do people communicate what they want without asking in such a way that it feels like permission, which can create a problematic power dynamic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this one, this question did not come with a ton of backstory. So we're going to be guessing a little Mm -hmm. bit. My assumption here is because I think this is a similar question that I see get asked in our communities a lot is this idea behind, well, for example, like, I don't know, I'm going to make plans to go on a first date this weekend. Um, and I'm going to communicate that to my live-in partner because they're my live-in partner. And so they need to know, oh, I'm not going to be around to feed the cats tonight or whatever. How do I navigate that in such a way where I'm still my own person with agency, but I'm also being considerate to this other person? When does it start to get into this feels like I'm asking permission for my live-in partner to go do something fun? Like I'm assuming that that's kind of where this is landing. Um, Mm. I don't know if y'all have seen these kind of situations crop up before, if you would agree with that, read. Definitely. I've also found this to come up where Sometimes it's not even just I've made plans and so I'm telling my existing partner about it so they can plan around it. But sometimes it's this thing of, I want to do something with this other partner, Is that but okay? we haven't made any concrete plans yeah. yet. I haven't even like offered dates yet. So I'm just thinking about what might be good timing. And so I'm going to come to my other partner and you know kind of float that idea of like, what might be good? Is something better or worse for your schedule? Because I want to collaborate. But absolutely, I've had that come up where then it does maybe feel like you're asking permission or maybe to that secondary partner, or I don't even want to say secondary, but to that other partner, if they know that's the conversation you had, it might feel like, oh, so you're going on a date with me just when it's convenient Mm -hmm. for your other partner and not when you want to with me, that it can get a little bit tricky in that dynamic. At least that's been my experience from years ago. People should understand that we have to navigate multiple schedules and if we have, you know, prior arrangements or there are existing dynamics that we kind of need to make sure are not being neglected or, you know, forgotten, then I don't know. I don't know. It feels like if you co- communicate that 
you know, you want to do something or you've been thinking about doing something and you ask your partner, how does that feel? Does that you know feel good? Does that work for you? And when does it work for us? And how, I don't know. I think there's a way to do that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's such a great point you made just then about people need to be understanding of that. And I think that is something that when people focus a lot on non-hierarchical polyamory, they can kind of almost get into this trap of thinking that that means there's kind of these hard lines about who you can and can't talk to about what or or like like agency gets confused with sort of a total lack of check-in and I will just tell you what I'm doing and not communicate and that mm. there's actually this happier middle ground but I do think that people can get really attached to that idea of oh well you talked to this person about our plans that equals some kind of hierarchy therefore it's bad right that it's it's like we can kind of get into almost like rules lawyering rather than actually looking at what makes sense this makes me think a little bit about the uh, telling my partner that I was going to come and see the two of you in Japan, where I am currently, where the three of us are currently, after my contract at Hong Kong Disneyland. And, you know, the three of us had talked about this. We were pretty much saying, yes, it's going to happen. I'm going to come here for a week and a half. But I hadn't talked to my partner about it yet. And when that did come up, it was more a conversation of, I'm planning to do this. How do you feel about that? And to me, there's a slight distinction there in that I wasn't particularly asking for permission. It was saying, these are my plans. Now, what what kind of feelings do, does that instill in you? And is that something that we need to worry about? Is it something that, you know, it, it will delay me coming home a little bit? longer for instance is that an issue are there things that we can do to help you with that and it didn't end up being an issue at all but i think that that's kind of a nice compromise that it's not me asking permission of him it's saying i'm still an autonomous person who's going to do this thing but i care about your feelings and i want to be able to acknowledge that and work through it with you if need be Exactly, exactly. That you're showing consideration for how yeah. they might feel. That's why I said the first question is how, how do you feel? Um, yeah, how do mm -hmm. you feel about this? Exactly. That I'm either planning on doing or, or uh, have done, well, have done is already past permission stage. But, <laughs> right. um, but yeah. And it's a, it's a nice thing to do when you have a partner that is in your life on a regular basis, right? To make sure that what you are doing with the other partners is not going past what they can handle without you providing some additional reassurance or some some accommodations of some sort that uh, need that they really need because we can't know that but i think also there's a step beyond where we're looking more at the ecosystem of the relationship because i mean even to take like emily's example is we still have to look at what happens after you ask that question sure. right like let's say that your partner maybe had some difficult feelings that came up you know maybe it was like oh i thought you're gonna be back earlier mm -hmm. oh i'm gonna miss you oh but i had these plans you know that there's a difference between like does your partner express that and then is very clear of like no you cannot do this like i'm i'm revoking permission and so you better come back home or is it Oh, oh gosh, actually, I'm having some really difficult feelings about this coming up. And also, I can understand you wanting to do this fun thing. Can we sit and have a conversation about how we try to get both of those things yeah. met? Yeah. Right. You know, like it also goes into the broader uh, ecosystem of the relationship because, yeah, you can, I think, pose a question like that of, hey, I want to do this thing. Just wanted to run it by you or check in with you or collaborate with you. And someone can still be very controlling and kind of treat mm -hmm. it like it's a permission granted or not granted situation. Well, then that's a problem with that person ex you know, then crossing a boundary right. in a way or crossing an agreement mm -hmm. where did I need to ask permission for this? Why are you making me feel like yeah. I'm asking permission or why are you going mm -hmm. back on what we had agreed that there is no veto powers here and that I can make these autonomous decisions that we can work together and we can work on on mitigating some of the negative feelings that come up, but you can't say no. Yeah. So we have a couple more questions from listeners that we want to get to today, but first we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways you can support this show. If this is content that you enjoy and you appreciate the fact that we're able to put this out there into the world, 
for everyone for free. Uh, the way that we do that is with our sponsors. And so if you can take a moment to listen to these, and if anything seems interesting to you, go check it out. That does directly help support our show. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. And we are back. We're going to jump into our next listener question. This one has a little bit of backstory. So here it goes. Have you come out to friendly exes from previous monogamous relationships? So here's the explanation. I would like to come out to an ex. And in this context, I'm assuming this person means come out of being non-monogamous. So I would like to come out to an ex because I think they'd understand or validate in a way that my platonic connections couldn't. But exclamation point. I don't want coming out to be a threat to them or to their current monogamous partner. Dot, dot, dot. And also, I don't want to feed any fantasies on my end that they will respond, what? No way. Us too. (laughs) (laughs) Adds an extra little layer. I love this question. I (laughs) love, yes, I love all the layers in this question. It's great. Uh, (laughs) Who wants to dive into that one first? I think if you feel like that's someone that wouldn't you know, freak out or judge or have a negative reaction to, I totally understand the desire to do that. And they could provide a different perspective because they know you sexually, they know you relationally, they know you when there were certain needs that were not being met probably in the monogamous relationship that you had or how have things changed. So you can have a very different conversation with an ex about that than you can with tonic friends. So I think there's a way to make sure or communicate clearly that you are not a threat, that just because you're coming out, you're not offering a threesome, you're not offering a poly, <laughs> you know, scenario or interested in that at all, that you just want to have a lunch date where you discuss this because of the insight type uh, information that, that you're going to get. And, you know, I, Chances are low that they'll say, what, no way, us, but sometimes happens. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. I was just interviewing <laughs> someone for the book that I'm working on who was in sort of a poly arrangement early in life when they were in their 20s with someone who then, when she got married, they became monogamous. For Fast forward 20 years later, she's also poly. Ah, mm. uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It comes in yeah. waves. <laughs> For yeah, some people, yeah. <laughs> my ex-girlfriend, same thing. We, mm. I had to leave my ex-girlfriend because she was not down with non-monogamy at the time. And I realized I just can't do monogamy anymore. This is so not me. And that was in many ways the love of my life. Mm. But I also knew that that inc- incompatibility was too great for us yeah. to be happy in that relationship. Fast forward 10, 12 years later, she's now non-monogamous <laughs> with someone else. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. something that I could toss out there for specifically the part of the question about uh, not wanting to 
feel like threatening to their current relationship is that something that can help with that is is evaluating the situation where you're doing it. And at least this has been true for me. I'm curious to hear from the three of you if you mm-hmm. think this makes sense. But having that conversation in a scenario where somewhat shortly after that, you're going to leave the conversation. Like, like it's not like, hey, I'm having this conversation when we've planned to spend the next four hours together. And, now, <laughs> and, and so there's kind of, it almost sets up this weird expectation of like, why did you tell me this now? What are you thinking? What, what are you planning? Versus that kind of, oh, I brought it up in this more casual way. You know, toward the end of dinner, we could chitty chat about it a little bit. And then, okay, bye, see you later to kind of make it clear. Like, I'm, I'm not here being like, and what do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say it depends on how much of a conversation you want to have about it. Do you want to have a 15 minute conversation? Do you want to have a two hour conversation? Mm -hmm. How deeply do you and your ex discuss things of this nature and how much insight can they give you in 15 versus two hours? Right. But that's a good scenario for many cases, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that could be appropriate. Again, it kind of depends on how you feel the connection is with the ex. But also depending on that, I'm usually a big fan of just like, why not just be honest about the things that you're hoping for and also what you don't want? Like, it's clear that this person is expressed. I think you'd understand Mm me. Mm -hmm. Or like, I really would want to be able to talk to these things to you just literally in a way that I can't talk to anybody else about, right? Like, I think you can be honest about that, right? Like, that's, it seems like that's the reason why you want to come out in the first place. Like, it's okay to just kind of put that on the table. And I also think it's okay to, again, if you feel like this would be received, okay, to be honest about like, and I'm not doing this with any kind of weird agenda and I'm not trying to make things weird. And I also really want to support the happiness of you and your current partner, you know, like, I think it's okay to just be upfront about this is what I want. And this is what I don't want. And here's what I have to say. I will say for the three of us, and potentially, this is also a thing that happens to you, Dr. Jean, but that when word gets out that you run a polyamorous podcast, or that you've written (laughs) books on these things or whatever, people will come to you or they will already know right. that you have been involved in this in some way and be interested and in, they will volunteer exactly, the information. and ask a bunch of questions and all of those things. So I think even if you're not on a podcast for the last million years about this, it still may get out there, especially if they are on your social media or you, you know, have pictures of you with multiple partners, things like that. So maybe it's not, although not everybody has that luxury, clearly, and some people, you know, are not out publicly. So maybe that's not going to be the case with everyone. But I am I am interested just, I think because it is so prevalent now, maybe somebody's mind may not initially go to, oh, so you're telling me this because you secretly want to have an affair with me or something again. And it can just be a conversation and like, wow, what is that? Like, that's really interesting and fascinating. I, I've i never thought that you would be interested in that, but now you are. So, yeah, I, I love what you said, Dedeker, about just to be honest and upfront. And it doesn't need to be weird. It can just be chill. I don't know. <laughs> that's yeah, where I'm that, at. That- I completely agree, except that people do react in mm. ways that make it yeah, weird. People can make it weird. Yeah. And yeah. even if the ex isn't, if the ex then tells the monogamous partner they about might this be new weird. conversation, they yep. might be like, okay, no more hanging out with mm-hmm. them. That's right. the last right. lunch you ever had with them. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've yeah, seen I it happen. I know you have. Um, yeah. 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 That, that is a tricky one. And then also depends on the relationship you have with your your net ex and what they're like, because it's also possible that their partner goes, "Oh my gosh, they're they're a threat. You can't see mm-hmm. them." And they say, mm-hmm. "No, actually, you need to chill. I'm going to hang out with them anyway." <laughs> so maybe evaluate what yeah. kind of person your ex is as well, because mm-hmm. maybe that's a concern or not based on their personality in addition to their partners. Yeah, yeah. How is the ex going to respond to that veto? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Should we move on to another question? Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep your radar on track when dealing with topics that bring out fear and trauma in one or more people? We want to talk about these things, but need another tool as we had to stop our last radar and are struggling to get back into it. 
even though we want to. So again, this is discussing our relationship tool, which is a relationship check-in method called Radar. I believe 147 is our big deep dive into our big deep dive episode into Radar, if you want to check that out. But it sounds like this person is having challenging issues with Radar kind of bringing out some trauma for them or their partner. Yeah. And we could probably extrapolate this to any check sure. It doesn't have to be specific to a radar, any kind of relationship talk or topic that may come up. Although, I mean, I will, the first thing I will say is um, this person clarifies that we do mm-hmm. want to. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's something, right? It wasn't like, oh, that went so horribly wrong. Let's never talk yeah. about this again. Let's pretend that never happened and then just bury our heads in the sand about it. So that's something to feel positive about that you're united and still at least wanting to be able to get back sure. to this. Yeah, and it sounds like at least one possible avenue is some therapy. If there's trauma and fear and it's difficult to talk with each other, maybe there's some individual or couples or throuples, whatever the situation is, therapy that needs to happen or some mediated types of conversations about the check-ins to find out what's going on. Yeah, without knowing any of the context around it, it is a little bit hard. But they they mention here, bring out fear and trauma in one One or or more more people. people. So it sounds like this may be a number of different topics. Like maybe there's a few different things that that different people involved have, you know, stronger reactions to, to the point where we can't keep having this conversation. And so it's maybe a little bit about I think I think Dr. Jano, what you said makes a ton of sense of if it's if it's something that a person reacts to so strongly right away that they can't even talk about it. It's like, yes, absolutely. That's that's something that you don't want to try to force that person to talk about it, but they should be proactive in in trying to find some help with that. And I know that can be easier said than done, um, depending on finances and availability of, you know, therapists or counselors or coaches who are understanding of the type of relationship you're trying to have, you know, again, depending what's going on. But if there's any way to definitely recommend going that direction, right? That's, that's really important if it's to that degree. What I'm wondering about though is for us to discuss today, what about those situations where let's say this isn't like a capital T trauma, but this is more of a, Maybe what they mean is this is related to something really explosive that happened in our relationship yeah. in the past, like some infidelity or some breach of trust or something. It's like, we know we want to talk about this and get this resolved, but it's still so upsetting to talk about how, how do we move past from there? Like how, how do we even get to be able to talk about it? Yeah. I mean, I would still agree that I do think probably the best option if it's accessible to you is getting some kind of help, you know, some kind of professional help, someone who can hold the space for both of you or one of you at a time to be able to hopefully like work through this in a safe enough feeling way and maybe give some tools for being able to communicate through it. But I think second to that, then I start to think about, can we play around with our approach to this topic or the shape that this conversation takes to make it a little bit easier on our nervous Mm -hmm. systems? So And this, I think, is where people can get creative. And again, if the two of you are united and like, okay, we want to find a way to figure out how to have this conversation, that's already kind of your best ally here. But that can be things like, can we just sit and talk about this for 10 minutes even and have literally a plan for like when the 10 minutes is up, we're going to go do other things that calm us down um, or we're going to switch activities just to kind of see what that's like. Can we, you know, I call this building the nest, which I think is great for our radar, which is like, can we literally put ourselves in a situation that's just good for our nervous systems, like comfortable on the couch, warm, comfortable, uh, you know, covered in stuffed animals, like literally it can even be silly, you know, but sometimes that can be the thing that you need to help. Um, Or even playing around with things like format, like, is it, would it be better if we both sat down and wrote an Mm. email to each other? And had, instead of a real-time conversation, like had, you know, I can sit in my room by myself and like really take my time choosing my words. If emotion comes up, I can sit, like take a pause and sit through that and comfort myself and then go back to it. You know, my my partner can have time to really read through everything that I'm saying and understand it and digest it and then respond to it. You know, I think that, you know, sometimes playing around, even with the approach of we're still in the same house, but we're just in separate rooms 
emailing each other back and forth can still help, right? Because if it really starts to fall apart, we can still be there to talk in real time or comfort each other. But sometimes I know that we're so bombarded with like all these messages about like, don't text through fights or, Mm. you know, or things like that. And yes, I would agree. And also if something is like so activating, sometimes having a little bit of that obstacle that helps make it a little bit less stimulating and forces you to slow down a little bit. I think can be helpful. So I think that's where my mind goes to if you're not able to like jump into a space with somebody to help you out right away. I agree. Yeah, I think emails or letters are great as mm. as a way to mm. slow down and reduce some of the emotionality and really be able to pick your words well. Because oftentimes mm. some of these fights or communication kind of conflicts happen because people in the moment are not exactly expressing this, uh, themselves Precisely. And it's triggering something for no reason. And when you sit down and write, you're going to think several times before you actually send that or or write that letter. And so you're going to be more careful about using your words. When radars have been really challenging for me in the past is when multiple topics kind of get compounded and it becomes this big like bubble of challenging emotion or... Uh, it, it really hard feelings and when it's not just one but multiple that occur over a period of time and i think yeah what dedeker said about taking it slow or doing 10 minutes a day or whatever on maybe one topic and do that over a prolonged period of time i think that's important and maybe eases like softens the blow of it all being potentially at one time. There are pros and cons to that. And I think we developed Radar to sort of be like a big container in which we can speak about multiple things so that we don't necessarily have to take as much time over the rest of the month or whatever to continue talking about stuff that's really challenging when we can sort of do it in a safe space at one predetermined period of time. But that might not be the best thing for people. It might be better for them to do it once a week or once a day even until it becomes a little bit easier to speak about. Um, So I think, yeah, just tailor it to what your specific relationship needs, not just the way in which we presented it in an episode or something along those lines. (laughs) Right. Don't no. listen to us is what we're saying. <laughs> Just, it, it, yeah, it, talking about challenging things is going to be difficult and and do it in the manner that's best suited to you and your partners. I think that's a great note to end that one on, Emily. Is, don't listen to us. No, just kidding. Uh, uh, I don't <laughs> believe that's what I said, but cool. But yeah, to, to customize. Customize yeah. and, and do what's right do for you. Do listen to us. Uh, <laughs> yes, do listen to <laughs> us. Listen to some yeah. experts because this stuff is hard. Yeah. No, seriously, yeah. this stuff is hard. This is treacherous territory. Very few role models. It's so easy mm. to make mistakes. So please listen to someone if you're going to try to yeah. do this. And if anyone in your life tries to do this, send them this podcast, give them the books that they need to read, give them <laughs> the Open Smarter course, you know, whatever tools people need to guide them through this because it's playing with fire. It is mm-hmm. playing with fire. It's higher risk on multiple levels. And th- that doesn't mean we can't play with fire. We just need to have the right tools to know how to do it safely. Totally. Yeah. Be a fire dancer. Cool. That's, that's what we're Love saying. that. Yeah. 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 We're all yeah. Or like an artisan yeah. fireworks yeah. creator. That's well, what that's I think good of. Too. Yeah. Love like that. that. Okay. A lot of good metaphors coming up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Jana, for joining us today and answering some listener questions and talking about the cool research that you've been doing. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. So before you go, can you let our listeners know a little bit about where they can find more of you and can keep up to date on all of the studies and the things that you have going on? Sure. I'm easy to find as long as you can spell my name correctly. (laughs) (laughs) And it's uh, Dr. Jana, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A is my Instagram, my Twitter and my website. uh, DrJana.com. And there people can find links to the Open Smarter course as well as the free Open Smarter training that will give people an idea of what they'll find in the course that is also super, super helpful in and of itself. So I highly recommend everyone, even those who have 
no interest in buying anything to go and take the Open Smarter course, uh, the Open Smarter training. Sorry. And um, that's how they'll, they'll learn what's going on in my world. Nice. So the question that we're going to throw up on our Instagram stories this week, we want to hear from you. Have you been able to share your sexual fantasies with a partner and why or why not? You know, what made that possible for you to do or what made it impossible for you to do? So again, that's going to be on our Instagram stories this week. The best place for you to share your thoughts with other listeners on this episode is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server or You can also post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.